welcome to the Open Labour Podcast. My name's James Gibson and I'm joined as always by my co-host Tom Hinchcliffe. Hi Tom. Oh. How are you? I'm all right, yes. Um, it's been a successful few weeks for Open Labour. Uh, it certainly has, yeah. Yeah, in terms of Anne Black and Alice Perry uh, successfully were elected to the NEC and Tracy Brabin has been selected as uh, the Labour's candidate for West Yorkshire Mayor, which is the first ever West Yorkshire mayoral election. Mm. So it's it's all um, it's all good news. Obviously, we're we're not you know completely responsible for their victories because they're all outstanding candidates. But it's nice to know that we played at least a little bit of a part. Well, I, I you know I, I don't think we should underestimate the role that we played. We mobilised a lot of volunteers, but uh, as well as that, um, people trust. The brand of open labour, I think. Is that fair to say, do you think? <laughs> yeah, I hope so. I don't <laughs> uh, It depends who you ask, I suppose. But yeah, um, yes, I think, you know, this idea... I think that people like our values, don't they? You know, they see, they see open labour, they like, they like the values that we represent. They think that that's the way that the party should, um, the position that the party should move to. So if we're backing somebody, it's a sort of, uh, it's a signal to people, isn't it, that, that these candidates are on the, the same wavelength. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think I think that's spot on. I think I think obviously uh, the idea of a factionless faction is somewhat <laughs> impossible sometimes, but the idea of an open, open mm. socialist left where where people from the you know, soft left and the you know far left can can debate ideas openly with equal value, I think I think that does resonate with members, and I think especially after what we're about to discuss with the NEC. Um, and the internal kind of polit- political struggles that went on. And we're joined now by I think Anne Black and that Alice Perry from the NEC. Hi, guys. Mm. Well, Hi. let's jump to it then. First things first, congratulations to both of you Alice, getting elected to the NEC. To come and join uh, us we're very proud at Open Labour that, that two of our three candidates that, that we supported have, have been elected. Um, I mean, you guys had a big profile anyway, and you, you, you're both very much respected throughout the party. So I'm sure you would have done well without us backing you, but I'm, I'm confident that our support helped. Yeah, and congratulations to Alice, actually, for being elected vice chair in the end. Yes. <laughs> Thank you very much. And did you, did you nominate or second Alice or something? I read, I read yeah. your reports and uh, that detail. I, I, I seconded Alice, yes. Very good. See, Open Labour sticking together secretly. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and publicly. <laughs> well, publicly now, yeah. I mean, it's not a secret if we're talking about it on a podcast <laughs> open to the public, is it? But I, I must say, I, I was really sad, though, that Jermaine didn't get elected. I, I thought he was a wonderful candidate and, and a unity candidate like yourselves. And you know what? It's really sad that we're still yet to elect a black man to the NEC. And it is particularly disappointing uh, given that there were two black men on the ballot this year. Um, have you got anything to say about that, guys? What, what's your thoughts on that? I, I mean, I think Jermaine's very well placed to win in two years' time. He was actually mm. 11th out of I know, yeah. 40, 42 candidates, mm. and um, which is incredibly impressive. He, he ran in yeah. the Bain section earlier in the year, and I yes, think he he's did, very yeah. well placed. He, he's, he's 25, he's got decades ahead of him he'll, he'll course, get there Jermaine's like amazingly talented and like would make an amazing NEC member or an MP or like whatever he'd want to do in politics I think it's really positive that um he is involved in people like Jermaine are like mm. standing up representing like where they're from and stuff he's done a lot of work with Islington Council as well on like our Fair Futures Commission and giving like his perspective as a young person like growing up in London and stuff but yeah, I think it is sad that black men are so underrepresented in politics, uh, in yep, local government, in national government. Like we've never had a black man on the NEC, and it's quite shocking, really. Like the number, of, the low number of councillors. What is it? Eighty-one Eight, black councillors. Yeah, like yeah, something, something like that. Like it genuinely is like shocking, and it must have been something that people have had a blind spot for. That mm. like, I mean, it's good we're discussing it now. But when like Harringay Mayor Adam Jogi like made a point about it. Like the racist pylon he received on Twitter mm. recently is also quite shocking. So, um, yeah, and the party should do more to like profile the fantastic like black male mayors and councillors and politicians that we have as well. 
And yeah, as Anne says, like Jermaine's got a lot of time and who knows like what will happen if there are any seat by-elections or maybe they'll get rid of the rule about by-elections in the CLP section because mm. it's like quite possible. I mean, that he might, we might see him on the NEC um, this cycle. Like who knows what can happen? Because yeah, as Anne says, he's quite high up. Like it's mm. just it's one or two people becoming MPs or whatever happens for... <laughs> getting suspended like you know you never know <laughs> <laughs> there's a range of different ways people have come on but getting peerage you know like people do come on to the uh nec in different ways and i think the by-election rule makes sense in like the councillor section or the trade union section where it's low cost but in the clp section like i do think there's a strong case for like the next runner-up taking a, a spot if it becomes vacant mm. Well, it was always that way until 2018. And uh, I mean, by-elections cost um, yeah. probably getting on for £100,000 a throw. We don't have that wow. money. And it was um, steamrolled through, I think, 21 votes to 16. Uh, and, and the idea was that um, it would actually entrench momentum in those nine places because you, that you sure. would carry on having... 60% of the membership holding uh, 100% of the CLP places. Mm, that, that makes yeah. sense, of course it does, yeah. So if it was a by-election, you'd, you'd presume um, with the politics of yesterday that those momentum, that whoever momentum backed would win that by-election. As, as you said, £100,000 is crazy. And not just that, the process itself is so long. It was so drawn out. I think everyone was fed up. I don't think anybody wants to mm. see that happen again for, for one place. <laughs> Um, um, so there, so. Is, there is actually a year in the, I think it's going back to 2005, when three CLP reps left the NEC for different reasons, uh, mm. at intervals of two or three months apart. So it would have been like never-ending by-elections. Or the alternative is that you have a place vacant for, for months. The trade unions mm. can do an election overnight. That's, oh, that's why I voted against it in the CLP section, just the cost and, like, mm. the admin. And there's, yeah, something to be said for just letting the next person go on. I mean, was, that was the one when it was, like, Ken Livingston and Una King, wasn't it? Like, Una got a yeah. hearing, was it? And Ken became mayor or something? I can't, I can't remember. Um, you guys know the rule book and, and know yeah, the history. Yeah, well, <laughs> Una, Una King and we got a period immediately after the election. So... Uh, it would have taken five or six, you know, four or five months to have a by-election fill that place, instead of which Joanna Baxter came straight on. Um, Ken Livingston was actually left when he was suspended, and oh. so there's always kind of question mark about it. Has he gone permanently or temporarily? Mm. <laughs> but either way, again, he wasn't there, and, and CLPs were underrepresented for all that time. Yeah, so let's let's come on to your your first meetings then. Um, last month, T safe to say that they are infamous. Is that the right word? The infamous walkout. We're going to talk about that. I mean, it, I, I know the joint was it the joint policy committee and that met first, and that yeah. was when yeah. NEC away day. Um, and is it safe to say they were different experiences? Yes, I mean the joint policy committee was. Um, uh, the only thing I'd say is that it's apparently the first meeting since first time it's met since Keir Starmer was elected leader. So that's getting on for nine months. But um, uh, it was. Um, but that's due to COVID, though, isn't it? Um, a lot of other meetings have taken place, but uh, the oh, whole policy, the, the whole policy making side of things. I, I mean, if you want to know how important um, a position the chair of the National Policy Forum is. You just have to look at the fact that it was left vacant for more than two years while I was yeah. off the NEC. Mm. And so nobody bothered to replace me during all that yeah. time. No one could, Anne. No one could. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but, but the Joint Policy Committee was, I was very impressed because every, I think every shadow cabinet member attended and they all talked in a, a lot of detail and articulately and persuasively about all the work they were doing and, and the only thing I regret is that that is not getting out to members 
because you listen to it and you're impressed and you might disagree but then you can ask questions and they explain why this why that why not yet uh, and and yet it's going on away from members but yes that was um harmonious welcoming and and um you know almost inspiring yeah i mean you touched on that in your report didn't you you said uh, the the kind of engagement with the members on policy you said it could the the committee meeting could have been live streamed and would have informed mm, yes. and infused members and supporters i mean that's a bit different to the actual meeting afterwards which we'll come on to but do you think there's there's something in that do you think that members should have have greater access to what's said and what's done in nec meetings i know you both do reports but do you think they should see it live is that is that something that could happen i was actually for like the policy commission meeting because you have them in different slots so what you could do is for the policy commission meetings have like the welcome kind of go around do the introductions have the shadow cabinets report maybe even take some questions from members and then you cut off the feed for like the kind of confidential part of the meeting i did suggest making the whole thing live stream but some of the members felt that they have confidential issues they'd want to raise but you certainly do like the first bit um of them and like richard bergen agreed he was going to do it and then we kind of never got around to doing it it seemed like the technology was elusive but now like with the pandemic and everyone using video technology all the time like actually doing something like this would be quite easy so i guess it's just a matter of actually organizing it and making it happen we were like thinking of using facebook live at the time but like there must be like well i mean open labor have done loads of fantastic like live stream events yeah well well absolutely we have we had a um, an event on saturday called is the power in the north it was basically about devolution and what we need to do to level up um and we use Zoom, but we have a YouTube channel that the Zoom was linked to. So anybody could, people that weren't members of Open Labour could tune into the YouTube channel and watch the live stream. So, you know, if Open Labour can do it, you know, we're not as big as by any by any stretch of the imagination as the Labour Party and don't have the same resources. And if Open Labour can do it successfully, there isn't really any excuse for the Labour Party not being able to do the same thing, is there? I mean, I think members are really keen. I, I was just, we had a report on um, the round table discussions that every policy commission organised and uh, 400 members attended and they all said how great it was and how they, they enjoyed being involved. But 10,000 members registered and most of them, I think, they didn't even get a rejection. They didn't even, they just signed up and then that's 10,000 people which is 25 times as many who, who wanted to be there and that's kind of their experience is is not ideal no yeah i mean policy is what drives the membership isn't it it's, it's interest in them in those issues well, well i would like to think so yes yeah, yeah. i think it is for most people most people join the labor party because yeah. they've got obviously they want to engender change but they've, they've got an idea about why that is you know people don't sign up to the labor party to hand out leaflets and knock on doors do they <laughs> which is often the task that are sort of uh, they're resigned to and like you have people who in fact Anne and I went to a meeting in Birmingham didn't we where like it was a bit tense at first and some kind of factional issues going on and some stuff around selections and stuff but once you got past that and into the policy debate it was quite clear that everyone had like a shared purpose and shared values and there was a lot that actually people had in common and it ended up being a really enjoyable meeting that was like really like pleasant and good and like we had a really good discussion with like the members there and stuff and I think when you get people away from passing motions about process um, and on to like talking about policies and things we care about and what we could actually do together as a party to make the country better you end up having like much more enjoyable meetings that are much more inclusive and welcoming and you know personally like I'd much rather be doing that than like arguing about like the rules and minutes. Although if there is an argument to be had about the rules, like literally, I feel like I've spent my whole life 
that. But um, it's nice to um, actually talk about the things we have in common rather than... You're one of those annoying people, Alice, that loves to debate the rules, that knows the rule book (laughs) inside and out and loves to debate it. There's always a few of them at the meeting. It tend to be sort of men in their 70s that have been in the Labour Party for like, you know, 50 years and sit at the back and don't say anything until somebody seems to break a standing order and then go into a big rant about it. I hate those people. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but you you need you need to be prepared. Uh, I mean, I'm a CLP secretary, yeah. among other things. But yeah, I totally until, agree. Until, until three four years ago, I, I never used to take the rules and standing orders to mm. every meeting with me. Yeah, but now I have to, and I have to know them and be prepared to quote them. Yeah, yeah, well, absolutely. I, I you know, I'm, I'm being flippant. Of course, you have yeah. those people there that know that know the rule books. You know, know the rule book and, and do things by the rules. Because you know, I've been to too many meetings where actually there's a complete disregard for the rule book, and and things are done completely. You know, just on on whoever the chair is at the time, whatever whim they fancy, and it, it's so unfair and so undemocratic, and and it can lead to some real issues because you know if you if you've got a branch or, or you know selecting councillors and you know there's a lot of power there. So if you're breaking the rule book, it's it is important. It has big consequences for the community. So you know I'm being uh, I'm being harsh on you, Alice. We need people like you. It's just when you get into a Labour Party meeting and then you know you have half an hour debate about it, um, you know. It can, it can be frustrating, but uh, I value you. And I know everyone said that they want to talk about policy, but that's not happening. So can we talk? <laughs> can we talk? Well, can I say one thing about like live streaming meetings just before we go on to yeah. that meeting? Yeah. Um, so, um, it's really positive to hear David Evans talking about like transparency and like wanting to make everything more accessible and transparent. And like I think live streaming meetings non-confidential parts of meetings can do this i think there's definitely scope for like live streaming mpf meetings there's a possibility for like live streaming i've suggested this you could live stream the leaders report or the deputy leaders report as well not necessarily the questions afterwards because you might keep that private but you could actually live stream parts of the meeting but also when um we started live streaming our council meetings at first i was like who's gonna watch (laughs) but we're getting some decent figures now in the pandemic but like one of the things when I was chief whip I liked the meeting being broadcast because I did feel as well like everyone upped their game when they knew they were being watched and people yeah. did like behave well and behave appropriately and professionally yeah. and you know there's been times in the past where I feel like when things were really bad on the NEC that people didn't you know behave like they should and I used to think you know if people could see how you were behaving you wouldn't behave like this mm. and there is something for like people being accountable for like the way they conduct themselves uh, and I, I'm talking about like years and years ago when things were really like challenging. But yeah, I think there's something to be said for people being accountable like that. I think that's, oh, you know, me and Anne have always written our reports and stuff, but like it's anything that brings people closer and demystifies stuff is probably a good thing. I agree. Yeah, I really do. Yeah, I think it's the members that vote for the members of the NEC. So I think that, I think, yeah, any increase in transparency will be welcomed by every faction but so the away day then um (laughs) back to it back on track margaret margaret beckett was elected chair and there has been some dispute over the the convention which has changed but as as i understand it it's, it's only reverted back to what it was before is that right because before it was the longest serving member of the nec and then that changed didn't it in 2015 well, it changed a bit after, I mean, it's first it needs to be an NEC member who wants to do it. Um, but yes, yeah, so, I mean, there were, there were actually two um, conventions in conflict. One is that the vice chair moves up to become chair, but then the other is that the vice chair and then chair becomes, is, is the longest serving member. And that's pretty well being followed. If we had a kind of free-for-all back in 2008. I wouldn't actually have been elected as, as vice chair in 2008 because there were sections of the party staff who were manoeuvring to keep me off, but another section tipped me off, so it was okay. Um, it's not absolute. I remember Norma Stevenson and Michael Cashman swapped because 
Michael was senior, but Norma was coming off the NEC at the end of two years, so they agreed that she should go first and then he should follow. Um, and it really started coming apart in 2016 because we had a situation where the previous vice chair, Ellie Reeves, wasn't actually re-elected to the NEC. Uh, the next in line was um, Keith Vaz, uh, and also Keith Birch, who didn't want to do it by that time. So that was sort of, I think, where the three in the frame were Andy Kerr, Glenis Wilmot, and Margaret Beckett. And probably, actually, it should have been Andy Kerr with Margaret Beckett as vice chair, but it was indicated that they weren't having that. But Glenis was acceptable. Glenis was coming to the end of her time on the NEC uh, and as an NEP actually and leader of the EPLP. So there was a vote between Venice and Andy, it was 1817. And then Andy Kerr was chair the following year. This is getting boring actually, going chat. <laughs> about the NEC, <laughs> the history of the NEC, you know, Anne. You're a fountain of knowledge. Up until then, there'd only, only been one person who was outright overlooked, and that was Christine Shawcroft. And if she had stood, I would have voted for her at the time, um, partly out of just to uphold the principle. I mean, one of our former NEC chairs uh, went off and defected to UKIP, but, um, uh, you, you know, it, it wasn't about politics, it was more than that. So Christine was overlooked, and then the next really significant overlooking was of Margaret Beckett, which was outrageous in my view. When Ian Murray, the previous vice chair, was elected, there were, I think, 10 NEC members who'd had longer service than he had. He'd only been on for two and a half years, so that was completely beyond and you know he'll be on for years until his his turn will come i mean i'm absolutely convinced of that it's not because anyone's got it in for him personally so yeah. i think we're going back to the orderly transition which yeah is I, think, I think that's right as well and we we should say ian murray's from the fire brigade union not the ian murray the shadow scotland scotland secretary mm -hmm. Two two I had to keep explaining that to my husband. He kept being like, wait, what? The Scottish what? MP? I'm like, no. Well, <laughs> I, have, I, have a C, I have a CLP motion which um, stands in solidarity with Ian Murray, and I don't somehow think they mean the last standing MP in Scotland. <laughs> They're not specific. So. Two very different people, um, but with the same name. But I mean, his, his turn will come, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah sure. The elephant in the room, though, is that um, Ian Murray had signed a letter um, to reinstate Jeremy Corbyn, and that, and, and of course, that's that's why there has been a bit of a backlash, suggesting that it was a bit of a stitch up. And I, I just think it's worthwhile because we've seen the commentary from people on Facebook and commentary that's sort of been been thrown out there and, and thrown and, and sort of widely publicised. And I just think we should just it needs to be the we we need to deal with that sort of head on and and, and speak about what your interpretation of that is. Um. Well, without um, going into anything, well, I, I wasn't on the panel, okay, but, but the letter that those 14 signed was actually internally contradictory anyway, because first it said the panel um, found that Jeremy Corbyn hadn't broken any rules, and then second, they said the panel uh, imposed the sanction recommended by the legal advisors, so if he hasn't broken any rules, why is there a sanction at all? Um, but all I would really say is that um, when the leadership contest was going on, all the candidates for leader promised that they would accept the EHRC findings in full and they would implement its recommendations without qualification. And if everyone in a position of influence in the party had held to that line, um, then we wouldn't be where we are now. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, this argument over the chairship was uh, ended in a in a walkout, a virtual walkout, which is 
the most anticlimactic thing I've ever heard, by the way. Um, it doesn't, doesn't create the same sense of kind of furor that you get if they physically walked out of a meeting. But do you think this walkout was appropriate given, you know, you had other business on the agenda, such as safeguarding for children and presumably, presumably the people that decided to walk out missed all that? They missed everything. I mean, at one point, they they sort of indicated that they were leaving the business meeting, which finished at lunchtime, and um, then the afternoon was more sort of breakout sessions. And uh, Margaret Beckett did have the have, did contact them and ask if they were coming back for the afternoon because that wasn't formal business, and and, and they said no. But I just found it bizarre. I mean, from the days when Liz Davis and um, uh, you know, this is going back a ways, but she was like the, you know, the bête noire of the, <laughs> the, the, yeah. the, the era. She always did what I did when I came onto the NEC, which was try to get into every meeting possible against resistance <laughs> to letting me in the room. So I was trying to break in, not walk out. I, I understand that. I mean, Liz Davis, she does the Alliance for Green Socialism now, doesn't she? She... Mm -hmm. She, uh, she, she, she does the same tactic now. I mean, every time I work for Fabian Hamilton, she, uh, she stands against Fabian every election, near enough. And uh, she gets into every hustings possible and gets about 40 votes. So um, that's still obviously a tactic of hers, but it is the way it should work, I th well, I think anyway. You know, like people are entitled to um, protest in whatever way they feel is appropriate and like to make their point however they think might be most effective but i do think it's a shame that they missed the full meeting because it would have been you know if anything just nice to have had their input and feedback and share their experiences when we were talking about like future general election strategy what should next year's 2021 elections look like like how we should improve governance of the party um how we can you know make the engaged members better and like hearing from you know we believe in pluralism and stuff and hearing from a different range of views would have made yeah. both parts of the meeting like richer and more interesting um and you know like it was it was a good meeting it finished early because there were fewer people making fewer contributions but it would have been better if everyone had been there and i was hoping they'd come back for the second half of the meeting so i thought okay cool you've made your point but um you know, like it, it's up to people to decide, but like fair play to the people as well who um, stayed in the meeting. Like not everyone like who signed the letter walked out. Some people stayed and contributed. And I think NEC members appreciated that as well. So it'll be, you know, it, way day is usually a good way of getting to know each other, but it's so hard because we're doing all this online. Like in normal times, the away day would be either you know, like often it was at a venue off-site where people could like have a lunch together. We'd have an NEC dinner as well, where like we'd all kind of, you know, sit with different people from different factions or whatever and like have some food and drink and like chat and like get to know each other and like build relationships and that kind of part um, of being like in a group, whether it's a Labour group or a CLP or whatever, that, that kind of stuff's really important. And it's, I, I feel like, it's harder to do that by a computer screen. And since Keir was elected, like none of us have like met each other in person. And it does make, it kind of softens it. Like we were talking about like at NEC meetings where like, you know, you'd chat in the lift or at lunchtime, we'd make each other cups of tea and there'd be people, because we all sit alphabetically as well, which is quite fun. Like, and you sit with Margaret Beckett, don't you? And you sit with Keith Birch. I'll be sitting with Flora Pidcock. I guess. Well, I'll, I'll have Gemma Bolton on one side and oh. Margaret Beckett will be in the chair, so she'll be at the front. I don't think behaviour is, it's um, probably worse because it's like when you're watching television mm -hmm. and somebody's really annoying you, you start swearing and screaming at the screen and throwing things and in a way That's that you wouldn't if you were in the uh, same room as what, throwing things. Well, or any of that behaviour that you're describing, I hope it's it's not not descended to that level at the moment. Or is it? Are you saying that it has that people are getting I'm that? Saying, I'm saying that the the, the the words that were used are not words that I've ever heard really? um, people use in an NEC meeting, and wow. certainly not the leader of the party. Wow. And 
the other thing that I thought was slightly <laughs> laughable was the idea that factionalism started when Keir Starmer was elected. Oh, <laughs> I, mean, yeah. I think it was probably, there were two sort of really factional periods in mm. my time. The first was under Tony Blair and then mm. the second was under Jeremy Corbyn, but Tony yeah. Blair never managed to remove me from the NEC. So. No. <laughs> Wow. Yeah. I mean, it's um, it's hypocrisy, isn't it, to to suggest that um, yeah, Keir is is creating factionalism. Um, I mean, we we all know what's been going on since two thousand and fifteen with deselection of uh, of councillors and and sort of deselection of of um, any officer within the branch or CLP structure and and higher up and regional and obviously NEC that that didn't um, that didn't support Jeremy Corbyn. So we know that you know <laughs> it isn't a new phenomenon. I think we're, we're starting to deal with the fallout of, of trying to get the party back onto an even keel and and and, and finish this sort of factionalism. So well, that's my interpretation of it anyway. Yeah, and like there was a point after Jeremy stood down in the leadership election where the NEC got like quite friendly again, and I felt like we put yeah. like, some of the factionalism of the past behind us, and it's like not quite the case at the moment. But I think it would be good. To, like I think what like councils always tell me they want is for people to just like get on with stuff and like yeah. some of the negativity of the past behind and just get on and hold this government to account and like win back power and rebuild the party in the country and stuff. So, yeah, like, hopefully we can get there. But I would say, and I said this before as well, there's been, like, many times in the past where Anne and I have been in the minority, minority view, like, whether it's under Corbyn or Miliband or whoever. I remember, like, when I first came to the NEC, I was, like, standing on the platform of no further cuts to local government and opposing austerity, which was a minority point of view at the time as well. And, like, the minority view is really important. And... You know, it's really important for people to be represented and to make those points of view and for people to hear it. And if um, challenge and criticism is done constructively and appropriately, um, then it's a really important thing and it protects us from groupthink. And like people should, you know, you should have robust conversations. And if you disagree with something like Anne's never shied away from like telling people like what she thinks as well. I think that that's really important and part of like the role of like NEC members to you know good governance doesn't come from blindly doing whatever you're told by the authority figure that gets you into really bad situations so like it's a really positive thing but it does need to be managed constructively and I think there have been plenty of times when I've been on the NEC where conflict has not been managed <laughs> constructively and it's been deeply in what, in what way in what way what oh we used that? to have awful dispute committee meetings like the disciplinary process like has massively improved and we're going to be moving to a new independent process which is great but like those old meetings used to be really like hostile and people would just be shouting at each other and like they were just really unpleasant and that's not <laughs> that's not healthy and that's not um constructive and it's not also the best way to get your point across either so like we can be we can disagree and do it respectfully and stuff and which is something john landsman i used to think was very good at politely disagreeing with people and like anne's always been brilliant and like courageous at like putting across the view that she thinks is right and i think when i was like standing for the mpf like one of the criteria was they were looking for people who would be prepared to be in the minority and have a minority view and like to have the <laughs> stand there and say something different and I think this is now the first time I've been on the NEC where I've been in like possibly the majority although it's open labour we're, we're probably still the minority <laughs> probably like but, but sort of, um, of well if we describe it as the open, open left you know sort of yeah. left wing uh, in terms of policies but willing to work with 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 other people constructively mm. and accept that the Labour Party is a broad church is how I would describe um, open labour and and it sounds like the makeup of the NEC is is that of that sort of inclination as well is that right do you think? Um, well I think it, it's very varied this is the most diverse constituency section since okay. about 2016 and um, mm. actually I agree with Alice I'm, I'm really sorry that everyone didn't stay because I've met 
um, Nish and Nadia and the others and Gemma on um, quite a lot of virtual hustings because of course we're invited all over the country now and we can just sit and do it from our own attic and it would have been really good to have that range of views and I hope we can kind of move on to that. But the problem with the, the disputes panel was um, uh, when we're on the NEC we get loads and loads and loads of emails with anyone who's unhappy about anything which is quite a lot of people, a lot of individual cases and some NEC members used to assume that everything they got in an email was true. And I know, I know from my time as a trade union rep that there's always more than one side to any situation. So I would get these long complaints and I would try and find somebody to talk to about it and say, well, you know, what's going on here? What, why is the regional office doing this? Why is whatever? And then kind of sift them. I do have some individual cases that I'm extremely concerned about. Procedures may have got better, but there are people who've been suspended for up to two years, to my knowledge, and no end in sight. I mean, one thing that did come out of the NEC meeting was that Labour now has 540,000 members. I mean, these members need to be represented at some point. And if people keep walking out of meetings, obviously they're not going to be represented fully. I mean... How do you plan on kind of getting the members that walked out of that meeting to, to kind of come back into the fold and really get to debate their ideas again? Because as, as you said before, these ideas are valuable. So kind of where do we go from here is kind of what I'm trying to get at. Um, I think it's useful to like make sure everyone gets like one-to-one -one individual inductions as well for the new members so they understand how the NEC works and like, how you can influence it and stuff. That's all the things I found challenging when I was first elected in 2014. Like you think you know what the NEC is and what it does, but like it is always, there's always like a lot more to it um, than you expect. And um, like I know like Margaret's reaching out to people and like has asked David Evans as well to make sure support's put in place for the new members and I think I know Anne was invited to a group session but I think having one-on-one -on -one sessions is really important so if people have questions they might not want to raise in front of other people or you know um, have areas where they need extra support that could be really good and then like one way we kind of work with each other across different groups is through the disciplinary panels as well so I hope people are like encouraging them to like take to you know do the relevant training so they can take part in the disputes panels as well we did one we did one panel that was done very quickly and we had consensus on every single item and it was actually like a really good meeting so it's like you know a, a group of like different nec members with from different traditions within the party but um i thought that was like a really positive one and like an example of how you can actually work really well constructively together like what works well on Zoom is those smaller breakout sessions as well. So it's not like 40 people talking to each other and like, you know, waiting for someone to finish. So it's their turn to talk, but you can actually have much more meaningful discussions and, you know, um, making time to build relationships outside the meeting and phone people and like have a chat and stuff. Cause that kind of stuff's important. Um, and like, honestly, like, I didn't necessarily get a lot of that when I was first elected to the NEC in 2014 either. I was kind of just like left to my own devices. Whereas I noticed other NEC members were given like a bit more support and encouragement and welcomed into the fold a bit more. It was something actually that Jim McMahon at the time wasn't happy about and like kind of raised because there was one ridiculous occasion where like I was... I wasn't invited to attend the leader's speech at conference, even though the other newly elected NEC members were. And then, like, he was like, well, <laughs> I'm the leader of the LGN. I say, Alice is coming in. And I was like, no, really, it's fine. I don't, I don't really care. But he was like, no, it's the principal. And so, like, we went in and did that. And, like, the whole thing, like, seemed so ridiculous. But as Anne says, there was a time you used to have to fight to get in the room. And when, uh, this? when were you first elected on Alice? 2014. So it would be 2014 Labour Party mm. conference. Yeah, like, I literally had to fight to go and see the leader's speech. Mm. I'm not sure if I'm, I'm imagining this or remembering it, but I seem to remember when we had that meeting last day of conference when um, the new NEC members come for the first time, somebody thought Alice was a kind of junior 
research assistants and sort of 18 year old or something. That's right. I was asked to leave the meeting because like they didn't think I should be there. <laughs> and they said this right. is very I, 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 I think I can remember who, who, who made that assumption that I yeah, let's not mention their let's name. Not mention <laughs> but no, it was very funny because I was sitting next to Bex, Bex Bailey as well. Like, as obviously, like, she's like quite young and like I look a lot younger than I am. And they were like, well, are you, they just assumed I was her little friend. <laughs> and they were like, I'm sorry, this is any C members now. Can you leave? <laughs> I was like, well, no. <laughs> and they were like, well, who are you then? I'm like, I'm a new C member. They were like, what section? And I was like, local government your local government i'm like hi <laughs> so like it was like a different kind of experience and i know like other nec members like had to go through similar things where you just had to fight to get into the room and to like be able to make your voice heard and stuff and to be taken seriously so like hopefully that isn't an experience that people have to go through now but um you know but at the same time people are entitled to make their points in the way that they think like gets across what they're trying to get across best. But I think when, when I came on in the first place, I, think, I remember Maggie Jones, who was chair then, taking us out for lunch and uh, introducing us to, uh, because there were four of us, there was mm. Shahid Malik, who became elected as an MP, Ruth Turner, who went to work for Tony Blair. I have a feeling it might have been Peter Wheeler, the, the, there were four of us. But when I came onto the NEC with hindsight, I was probably a bit like the the the, the new left people now. I kind of mm. assumed that I was there to go in and smash the system. And it <laughs> took a bit of sort of give and take on both sides. Um, and then they realised that I wasn't actually completely mad and could occasionally be constructive but I just want to go back to membership because I have a continuing argument about that we do not have 540,000 paying members the only accurate account you get is the number of ballot papers issued and we've gone down from well, okay a year ago we had 430,000 during Keir's leadership contest, we went up to 550,000. We're now down to 490,000. So in the last year, we've put on 120,000, lost 60,000. And I would be very surprised if it is not still falling. But it's just saying, oh, well, they're members if they're up to six months in arrears. Well, some of them are people who are... Okay, there are a few accidental ones who do renew, but some of them are people who are just lapsing or they've resigned and the message hasn't got through that their direct has stopped. So, so I just think we need to be honest about this because budget planning has to be based on, and Alice and I are both on the business board now as well. Um, it has to be yeah. based on it has to be based on facts and sort of pretending we've got five hundred and forty thousand when you know sixty thousand. 50,000 of them are not paying anything. It's not actually helpful, but... Um, not constructive, is it? No. I will say, though, like, that's true. And, like, it was something that was always frustrating, like how, you know, you'd be like, what's the real membership figure? Because that figure includes the people in arrears. But that's been the same for the whole way through reporting membership figures. So at least if we're including people in arrears, we're consistently including it. Because if you want to compare... So like the peak, which I think was around 570,000 members or 587,000 members, the July of that leadership election in 2016, maybe, um, that also included people in arrears. And I think like there was a point where if you took out the people in arrears, membership had actually fallen below 400,000. So like um, if you're comparing the membership figures that included arrears in the past with membership figures now, you use the same methodology or you actually look back at like how many members we had that didn't include those in arrears historically if you're comparing figures in the past and figures today but like that said like um i'm not sure like how useful it is or how much it takes you forward like often in my mentions people argue about jeremy corbyn's figures versus keir's figures and then they argue about jeremy and keir 
it's definitely being used as a, as a political football, isn't it? To sort of quote yeah. the, the membership numbers as to um, uh, to sort of give an indication as to whether or not there is uh, more or less support for the uh, direction of travel of, of both leaders. Mm. So, but I mean, you know, coming coming on to that, uh, how do you think Kia's doing? Are you, are you happy with with everything that, that's going on at the moment? There's a that's a broad question. There's a lot going on. Are you happy broadly with with the uh, the direction? of travel uh, and if it, you know and if there are issues what can the NEC and what's your role in the NEC to, to do something about it? I mean I think that um, broadly on the pandemic it's a very difficult situation to handle uh, and it's handling it at a time of national crisis and need for everyone to pull together I, I, I don't think it could have really been handled better. Sure. Um, on other things I think what, what he needs to do more of is explain, and the shadow cabinet need to explain why they're taking particular positions on, uh, well, a couple of examples on bills where Labour abstained, the Spy Cops bill and the Overseas Operations yeah. bill. Yeah. Well, there may have been, when somebody sat me down and explained to me the exact reasons, it was oh, like, yeah, I can see the point of that, but mm -hmm. nobody explained yeah. to members and the, and, there are quite a lot of members who just want to understand. And then you've got the kind of other elephant in the room, which is Brexit. And um, at the moment, I would think it's really important that um, Labour doesn't vote with the Tories on, you know, unless Boris Johnson gets a deal which really meets at least some of Labour's five tests or whatever it was. It's um, the test word, yeah. because the, there are there's a large chunk of the party which is passionately pro-European and they're loyal to Keir Starmer. A lot of them joined mm. or rejoined to vote for him. Yeah. But it's not unconditional loyalty. And oh, and that's no. the one section of the party that is not yet pissed off over Jeremy Corbyn. So yeah. it would be kind of a bit unnecessary to lose those as well. And there is discussion around that, isn't there? You know, uh, uh, that we could perhaps support uh, Boris Johnson's deal. It's been, it's been banded about that there may be Labour support. Um, my uncle, who's a councillor in Nottingham's County Council, had, had said to me yesterday that he's been consulted on it, whether or not they should... I've not heard anything mm. about this. I'm, I don't know why... Uh, why he's been consulting on it, or the party's consulting with him, or, or with his, not him specifically, he's not some sort of grand deal or something like that, but, you know, he's uh, sp speaking with other councillors on whether or not um, that position should be, um, that, that should be the Labour Party position. Have you heard anything about that? Or is that my own good sort of making stuff up? That could be part of the local government sounding boards that they've um, established in the Shadow Cabinet. Like, I'm... Yeah, okay involved in the one on equality and advancing diversity of representation yeah. but there are like a range of different issues and like I think getting people's views on the ground and knowing about how the Brexit deal will be perceived is probably actually something quite important and worthwhile. That is the constituency yeah. Yeah, that would make sense. held up to say you know this is uh, here's a constituency that, that is always voted Labour that left us over Brexit. Yeah and like get a Gedling and Bassett Law and places like that around there. Like people will want to know like how we can like rebuild. And I think that's one thing he's doing very well is like talking to and trying to win back with the public and those voters and winning people over. But also you can't neglect party membership as well. And like it's been it's just been a really difficult week few weeks for like Labour and like we'll hopefully we'll get through it and it'll like calm down and get back on track. It, that makes sense. It could be that. And in local government, like, we've kind of had a bit of a different, like, there isn't a consensus on, like, Brexit amongst councillors. Like, people from different parts of the country have wildly different views on it. I remember, like, just before the Brexit referendum, um, a number of councillors were coming down to London for um, an LGA, um, Culture, Tourism and Sports Board. So I was there with someone from Stevenage, someone from Coventry, and someone from Calderdale. And they saw these like uh, European flags all over the houses, and they were like, "What?" <laughs> I was like, "What do you mean? Yeah. 
sure. that's that. Like, <laughs> like what, what have you all got European? I was like, yeah, yeah. Like that's in, welcome to London. And they were like, you're all mad. We're gonna leave, you know. And I was like, what? <laughs> Seriously? <laughs> and like, it, it's very different in different parts of the country. And like, um, people have different views. And like, I can see, like, why there might be a case for supporting the deal but like, I also know like how passionately pro-European lots of Labour members are as well we had this when we were like as an ALC delegation Association of Labour Councillors delegation deciding how to vote on that motion about Labour's position on Europe I think in the end we let people split and I think half voted one way and half voted the other because you know the councillor from Med- Medway had a very different view than the councillor from um, Hertfordshire and like it's still something that does like divide people but um so but it, but in general then with with both of you i think you you, you both described alice you described yourself as i don't think you described yourself in the terms of radical but certainly on the sort of on the on the on the part of the party that um was not in the mainstream even under ed Miliband and 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 you know, I don't know how to, I don't think you can pigeonhole you but, at all, but uh, c- certainly not, you know, you're not a Blairite or, uh, you know, or sort of right wing of the party. Are you, you, you know, there's a, there's a lot, you've got to remember that a lot of members, all they come into contact with, with the Labour Party, other than, other than the news, if they are, re- uh, if they are looking at the news and, or, or perhaps if they're, they're looking at other mainstream media, but a lot of it is social media. And of course, a lot of the a lot of the members, Labour Party members that people will be connected with that are on social media, are big supporters of Jeremy Corbyn in the last administration, and they're very critical of Keir Starmer's leadership. And anything that he does that seems to be a move, a shift to the right, is held up as you know, here we go again. We're moving back to the centre. We're moving back to Tony Blair to try and win back communities that we lost in uh, in 2019, such as Mansfield, Nashville and other red wall seats. You know, I, I think we can trust you guys to have an honest opinion on whether that's the case or whether it's not. Well, I don't think most of the people posting that stuff on social media actually live in Mansfield or Bassett Law, actually. Um, no, well, no, of course you don't. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, I mean, even in, you know, I live in Oxford and you can't really get more sorts of, um, uh, what's the word? The Cosmopolitan liberal. liberal. <laughs> put, 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 put it this way, probably more than half of our own members voted Lib Dem in the European elections. So sure. some of the rest voted Brexit on the estates. But uh, I think the other problem, though, is that members, could, that there are concrete things which we could be campaigning on that everyone would agree on. We should be going mm. around saying Labour would keep the £20 a week uplift to universal credit. Labour yep. would help yep. protect tenants, especially private tenants, from eviction. Yes. Uh, Labour opposes the public sector pay freeze, particularly, mm. well, if you want to pick a group, pick teachers who kept the schools going throughout. Why not, so, why not social workers? I'm a social worker. We never get a shout workers, out. Yeah, Somebody I mean, mention us for once. <laughs> these, these are all things that absolutely yeah. everyone agrees on. And from what yeah. I can tell, it's Labour Party policy as well. So I even miss the national campaign days under Jeremy, mm. where we all used to, you know, the half a million members across the country used to be supposed to go and stand outside train stations at the beginning of January yeah. protesting about fares and tweet mm. about it. Uh, and it did give people a sense of doing something together. And I don't understand why that part of it is not happening because yeah. it's not, you know, it's not, it's just basic stuff. That is that for. policy though? Is that, is that, is that what this, this leadership believes in and those, in those policies that, that would have in the past, you know, would have been seen as, uh, as radical now, I think. You know that politics has has had a, a big shift towards the sort of um, increase in public spending in a lot of areas, so it wouldn't be seen as radical. But is that is that where the party's at from the leadership? I think it. I think it has to be like that was the platform that Keir was elected on, and like the yeah. 2017 manifesto. I'm really sad we never won that election because the policies in that are just so fantastic, mm. and I think it really did tell a story of like who the Labour Party was and what we would do in power. And um, like those policies are still, I mean, obviously each policy cycle, it starts again from scratch, but like, I don't see any signs of us kind of going back on those policies and like having a different change in direction from like Keir's point of view or from 
the shadow cabinet more like maybe building on it but you know we will see like I'd be opposed to moving like to the right I don't think that's necessarily how you do win back the country like I don't think it's the policies themselves that were rejected like I think there were other reasons why we lost and I think those policies really did resonate with people and were part of the reason we did did better than people expected so like I think it's really important that we do keep with that but um as Anne said we've only had one JPC meeting so far and like the MPF hasn't met for years and years I think the last time the MPF met I was pregnant and my daughter's like two and a half now so it's since since we um, met and like that's partly because we're reviewing the policy making process and that was part of the democracy review to see if we could find a better way of doing it and Mm. like we suspected at the time that maybe we keep the MPF because no one can think of a better way of doing it but it could work better than it is working and goes back to what we were saying earlier about the importance of actually having policy discussions and debate and like hear from people yeah and like kind of champion like key workers including social workers and giving a shout yeah, out to like we do people. we do work hard as well you know it's not just teachers and nurses social workers also yeah. work hard. <laughs> well yeah exactly and everyone works for the councils the nurses are getting the pay rise, but the, yeah. the, the, the porters and support yeah. staff aren't, which is, again, um, actually, that's one thing that did come out of the NEC, and I'm very glad that um, half the trade union reps did stay, because it was very, I think everyone in the room agreed that there should be no divide between public sector and private sector, and no divide between the, within the public sector about kind of deserving workers and undeserving. And that was a very, you know, trade union reps from the private and the public sector spoke, and everyone agreed. And I, I think that the lack of um, campaigning material that gets out there isn't because mm. anyone in the leadership objects to a lot of the stuff i don't think the infrastructure is there to make okay. it happen and coming back onto the nec after two years there are very few of the staff that were there mm. when i left two and a half years ago i don't know if they have the people that used to make things happen whoever was leader just in a practical sense. Well, that's interesting that you say that because the, the next thing we're going to talk to you about and it dovetails into this really, really neatly is, is the local council elections. So, um, you know, from a personal perspective, I'm very keen to hear what, what the plans are um, because I know that we're doing okay-ish on, in the polls at the moment. We're sort of bobbling, bumping around the sort of 40% mark along with the Tories. Um, but it does feel as if um, that we need to get the Labour brand, what we represent, our policies and our vision for the future out there if we're going to do well in these elections, which are really important. I'm in a, in a standing in a seat that's always been Labour, but but it, but in the the last election we we lost it. The we didn't lose the the the, um, the ward. Sorry, we won it at the last local council elections, but the actual ward we lost in the general election when we looked at the box data. Um, and it's the same sort of seats as we've been describing that were overwhelmingly voted to leave the European Union. So, but uh, you know, people aren't aren't coming back to us in our in our droves as as we sort of expected with the leadership or some people expected with a leadership bump. There's still question marks, and we've got to do something uh, to win those people back over so I'm really interested to see what what your perspective is what what you think what what's happening at the NEC level to to move us forward and actually win those elections so I asked for um, a, a regular update to each NEC meeting about the election planning um, and that's been added because we got to a point before the elections were cancelled where it was getting quite late in the day and we weren't having updates really see point of view stuff that like we've raised as well as like making sure the selections take place in time and that we have candidates in place for the elections um and that local campaigns have the resource they need obviously the elections are massively disrupted by covid and that um i'm like feeling a bit anxious because it's the longest i've not i've gone without campaigning and also like i'm not getting the feedback from the doorstep so i'm not getting that real picture of how things are going Mm. phone banking was like restarted and like um activities like resuming but like most of it's like doing through telephone um there was plans for like leafleting and street stores and people you know bought their christmas cards they were going to be sending out and that all had to be shelved with the second lockdown Mm -hmm. so 
it's been we had an interesting discussion actually someone said that like maybe we should look to the past as well for campaigning methods and like should we bring back tannoy cards and safe labor areas to like remind people there's an election on just is it's going to be a really different challenging set of elections um and that you know while we've got like good historic data and stuff we're just not using the ground game that is like labor's strength in election times um and it's been interesting as well like um uh, at the association of labor councillors we're talking to like councillors from around the country about like what their experiences are and like it's like you know people in like seats that we lost in the 2019 election like asking oh so how is it going is is it really like improving is it all swinging back our way and like you know some sometimes that's the case but other times people are oh give this government a chance they've only been in five minutes which is quite astonishing considering like how long the mm. have been in power but uh, like you should never like underestimate your opposition and obviously we've got elections in scotland and wales and stuff and like our colleagues from scotland and wales on the nec have been like making lots of representations about the different circumstances they're having and like in yorkshire people were talking about yorkshire and like you know the threat of nationalism not just in like wales and scotland but in yorkshire and other parts of the country too so um it, we're rebuilding but like no one's gonna like hold up the 2019 election as like a model of like campaign excellence and organizational excellence and how to do things like you know like famously the postal vote um yeah. drop on time and stuff so like we've got a lot of work to do to build stuff back up um and it's something like the nec are monitoring stuff but also it's not the only place like there are um these like sounding boards there's like a cat councillors have like a campaign committee as well that are meeting with the leader's office and that also might be like something that your uncle was meeting in connection with because I know councillors in Nottinghamshire are involved in that as well and um, that's one thing we wanted is like basically people on the ground to have more ability to tailor their messaging and to like have more control over local campaigns because a one-size-fits-all approach to such different sets of elections and different circumstances with multiple different electoral systems just isn't necessarily going to work we were talking about like other different things people could do like you know having whether league tables of voter contact is something that works or how it just basically this massively um so many like this what is it like a third of all English councillors are up for elections with the Scottish and Welsh yeah. um, parliamentary elections. And then you've got um, all the metro mayors and the Kwan Authority mayors, 100 by-elections. Yeah. Like, it's going to be enormous, real it's test of Labour. This is the thing, you know, we've got, yeah, the first ever West Yorkshire metro mayor. Um, we're supporting Tracy Babin to be the candidate with Open Labour. Uh, and, and as you've said, all the other elections as well. So this is a big poll um, and it's, you know, the first poll under new leadership. Is it being taken seriously? Because we've done the worst we've ever done since, uh, you know, since what it was it 1930? I can't remember the, the, the stat, 1935 or whatever it was mm. at the last election, whatever the, the stat is that gets banded about. But the party electorally is in a pretty poor place. And this is the first national poll that we're going to have the chance to test where the party's at is the party taking this seriously or, or are we actually more focused on this sort of um, uh, these internal divisions and getting that sorted out to begin with? Well, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm quite worried. I don't think we're really enthusing people and where I am, um, Oxford City Council, the, there isn't a single Tory councillor, but there are Lib Dems and Greens. Sure. And I can see yeah. them uh, I, I can see them actually gaining. We've also got all out elections on new boundaries for the city. So there are two, two, two member wards uh, and there'll be a lot of split voting. Uh, we've got a couple of independents, including a councillor who's been suspended for nearly two years. Wow. Um, with no ability to get fast tracked, but um, whether he'll stand it, it would be good if you could stand for Labour, but um, it looks like, you know, we've tried to move heaven and earth to get an answer, but no joy. So I, I just, um, 
I don't know, somebody made the point that the way, Dave, that campaigning on under new management and a new leadership is by next May, it's going to be over a year. Mm. There's a point at which somebody said that about new labour, actually. At some point, mm. it ceases to be new and you can't mm. just run on that. Mm. Uh, locally, uh, I suppose there are always local things you can highlight, but we really need more more ammunition from national level, like um, stuff that you can, templates that you can adapt mm. and slot in, or, or if you haven't got enough people doing it locally, you can just use them as they are. I, I'm not convinced from what I've seen. And the party is digital um, technology, their tools are, are just not up to it dialogue mm. for phoning people because it doesn't ring people who've opted out through the telephone preference service mm. it will reach about 12 percent of people and if there are four four voters in the same house it gives the same number yeah. to four different canvases yeah so there's a gap between the sort of claims about what the technology can do and what it does do. And that's actually a general problem with IT, which I better not get started on now. <laughs> no, that's uh, a bit arcane for this, for this podcast. Uh, <laughs> at the moment. You know, yeah. we've, we've um, touched a lot of bases. I'm sure there is a, there is a podcast in there somewhere about uh, Labour Party infrastructure. Perhaps not today, though. <laughs> can, can I say yeah, that? No, um, unless, unless, you have the, unless you have the mechanics for delivering, then... I totally agree. It's really, really important. Absolutely. Deliver it, so. I, uh, I, I, I think it is really important. It's something that, that you know, was highlighted in... Um, as a particular particular problem in in the last election that the that the IT just wasn't up for it so there's you know with programs like promote that was meant to be you know really important it was going to support us to be able to get our message out there at a local level that just wasn't working you know issues with dialogue as you said issues with just members net in general so there are definitely problems and um, I think we could do a whole podcast on it was my point and I wasn't being I wasn't disregarding the, the point <laughs> I will say though, in terms of next year's elections, I think some of our like combined authority mayors have been really phenomenal, and like I think Andy Burnham has been absolutely like fantastic, and they've really like set the agenda and shown what like Labour devolution can look like, and done a really amazing job standing up for their communities. So it's it's an interesting role as well, and like it'll be interesting like if we can get some women elected next year, it would be fantastic. Including where, where, are, you, where are you? Where are you going to stand? Where are you going to stand? No, not me. I'm talking about Jesse Jo Jacobs and uh, like I betrayed Seal Susan, but like yeah, I just think that it would be like really great to have some more diversity as well. But I think our mayors have been brilliant in COVID, and I've really enjoyed. Um, Andy Burnham and Richard Leach on the steps of the Manchester Library and all of that. I think they've been like inspiring um, in what's been like, you know, like a very difficult year and like a pretty depressing year. But like I found out today, my mum's a frontline NHS worker and she's going to get a vaccine hopefully before Christmas. Hopefully, you know, we'll actually be able to have a conference in person in September because we'll all be vaccinated and like in the autumn. (laughs) I think we'll leave it there then, guys. And thank you again for coming on. We we can make this a relatively um, frequent thing yeah. that we have you on once or twice a year. What do you what do you think? Are you up for that? Yeah, after interesting meetings, Anne, quite fun. <laughs> Anne's nodding to the viewers, to the listeners out there. Anne is yeah, nodding. Fine. She's not I'm just not ignoring. Doing, not doing not doing anything else at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> the, right. the really juicy and easy in September as well before conference. That's a really is it really? Well, yeah, okay, that's uh, is, that, is that a tacit agreement to come on after the meeting? Alright, well, we'll see you Thank you for doing this. Yeah, thanks a lot, guys. Yeah, Speak to you, you soon. Bye.